Good evening and welcome once again to Brush Up Your Shakespeare, where we make Shakespeare fun and easy, the way it was always meant to be. This is episode seven, and we are now in act two of Hamlet, beginning with, of course, scene one. In the last episode, we saw the ghost of Hamlet's father drop the bomb of all bombs right on Hamlet's head. Remember, Hamlet was already reeling from his father's death and his mother remarrying his father's brother only a couple of months afterward. Now, Hamlet finds out that his father was murdered in his sleep by Hamlet's uncle, Claudius, and the ghost has ordered Hamlet to avenge his death by killing Claudius, the new king of Denmark. Act 2, Scene 1 opens with Polonius talking to his servant. It appears a little bit of time has passed since the end of the last scene. Polonius' son Laertes is now in Paris. Remember, in Act 1, he was just leaving for Paris, but now he's in Paris and seems to have been there for a little time. We are somewhat surprised to find Polonius sending his servant off to Paris to spy on Laertes and see what he's up to. Polonius gives lengthy instructions to his servant as to how to go about it by asking around if the locals in Paris have heard of any Danskers or Danes. Of course, Laertes is a Dane. Almost everybody in this play is a Dane. They're from Denmark. The servant is not to say he knows Laertes personally, but only that he knows of his family. And by doing this, he will find some people who are acquainted with Laertes in Paris and can give him the real scoop. But the servant is not to ask direct questions. He's to ask indirect questions. And specifically, in order to get the true story about Laertes, Polonius tells his servant to claim he knows of Laertes in Denmark committing all manner of bad acts, including gambling, carousing, and even visiting brothels. This will lead the Paris person or the informant in Paris to confirm or deny that Laertes is doing these things in Paris. <clears throat> Excuse me. The servant is concerned that saying such things about Laertes would not be good for his reputation. He says, my Lord, that would dishonor him. Polonius assures him that is not the case. He says, but breathe his faults so quaintly that they may seem the taints of liberty, the flash and outbreak of a fiery mind. So from Polonius' point of view, this is what young men do as part of growing up, and they grow, they go and they sow, sow their wild oats. Polonius says that by this indirect method of pretending to know Laertes' sins already, the French informant, the person in France who knows Laertes, will give direct evidence of what Laertes is really up to. Polonius puts it this way. See you now. Your bait of falsehood, and that is bait, B-A-I-T, just like the bait you put on a fish hook to catch the fish. Your bait of falsehood, take this carp of truth. So it is a fish, it's a carp. Your bait of falsehood about knowing about all these sins will catch the carp of truth as to getting those sins either confirmed or denied that that's what Laertes is doing in Paris. And he says, and thus do we of wisdom and of reach. And reach means comprehension. He obviously thinks he's wise. Here he's saying it out loud. And thus do we of wisdom and of reach with windlasses and with assays of bias. Now, windlasses are roundabout paths, and the assays of bias are basically saying that he knows about these uh, sins already. 
That's the bias. By indirections, find directions out. That's how he concludes it. By indirections, find directions out. This is what Polonius is about. He finds out things by being sneaky, by being sly, by being indirect. And that's what he's telling his servant to do. At this point, and I apologize for being a little bit hoarse. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit under the weather right now. But the show must go on, right? At this point, we have to wonder, what is up with Polonius? He seems to believe he is extremely wise. He even just said so. But is this plan to have a servant go to Paris to spy on Laertes in this manner? A wise plan? Even his servant seems to sense as much, but will do as he is told. We will see more spying and sneaking from Polonius later in the play. And as fate would have it, his spying ends up getting him into a lot of trouble. In fact, his spying ends up getting him killed. But we'll come to that when we do. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. And what of the Polonius from Act 1, Scene 3, where he gives that wonderful speech about neither a borrower nor a lender be, and about to thine own self be true? Maxims that are so well phrased they live on in our modern day language over four centuries after they were written. Is Polonius not a wise man to have such phrases at his fingertips? What we are beginning to see in the first scene of the second act is that Polonius is not what he seems. He does not practice what he preaches. In the words of, of Ophelia, he does not wreck his own reed. Remember that one? It means he does not heed his own advice. What Shakespeare has done with Polonius is give him a beautiful speech in Act 1, showing how wise he seems to be and now in act two, we're starting to find out Polonius isn't as wise as he seems to be. And he is in some ways a hypocrite. Because this scene involving Polonius and his servant doesn't do much to advance the plot of the play, it is often cut when producing the play. But what Shakespeare is doing here is not so much plot, but character development. Shakespeare is showing us Polonius's true character and how his true character diverges from how Polonius represents himself, and in some ways, perhaps from how Polonius sees himself. Remember how Hamlet believes himself to be one who will respond swiftly to the ghost's call for revenge, and yet that is not who he actually is because that's not what he actually does. So Polonius believes himself to be wise, and yet that is not who he actually is. And so are we all to one extent or another. We believe we are one way and then circumstances occur that reveal our true selves to be something different and usually something less flattering. As the Scottish poet Robert Burns put it, oh, the gift that God could give us to see ourselves as others see us. And yes, that quote has been translated a bit from the original Scottish. But before the scene ends, I apologize. <clears throat> but before the scene ends and after the servant has left, Ophelia enters with distressing news for her father, Polonius. And this news is about Hamlet. You will recall Polonius strictly admonished Ophelia to have nothing more to do with Hamlet, that even though Hamlet has sworn his love to Ophelia and given her many gifts, Polonius is certain Hamlet just wants to use her and then throw her away. But what Ophelia describes makes Polonius change his mind about that. Ophelia describes an encounter she just had with Hamlet. 
Hamlet spoke no words to Ophelia. His clothes were all disheveled, and he seemed to be in great emotional anguish. This is what Ophelia says, my Lord, as I was sewing in my closet, and closet just means your room, your chambers. Lord Ham, excuse me, <clears throat> Lord Hamlet with his doublet all embraced, that means unfastened, no hat upon his head, his stockings fouled or dirty, ungartered, he doesn't even have his garters on, and down jived or jived to his ankle. And that means like a prisoner's chains, which are jives. So his stockings are dirty, they're ungartered, and they're down to his ankles. That must have been quite a scene. Pale as his shirt, so he has a white shirt on, his knees knocking each other, and with a look so piteous in purport, as if he had been loosed out of hell to speak of horrors, he comes before me. This is how he looks when he comes in to see Ophelia. This last bit is ironic because Hamlet's father had actually been loosed out of hell to speak of horrors, but now Ophelia is applying this to Hamlet, so maybe that's part of the reason he's looking this way. Polonius asks what Hamlet said. Ophelia describes the rest of the encounter, although Hamlet actually says nothing by way of words. And I'm going to put this up here on the screen so we can see it together. Ophelia says, he took me by the wrist and held me hard. Then goes he to the length of all his arm. And with his other hand or his brow, he falls to such perusal of my face as he would draw it. So he's looking at her so closely as if he's going to draw her portrait. Long stayed he so. At last, a little shaking of mine arm and thrice his head thus waving up and down. He raised a sigh so piteous and profound as it did seem to shatter all his bulk, his body, and end his being, end his life. That done, he lets me go. And with his head over his shoulder turned, he seemed to find his way without his eyes. For out of doors he went without their helps, and to the last, bended their light, his eyes light, on me. So he turns around, he walks out of the room, but he never stops looking at her as he leaves the room and goes outdoors. Polonius believes this is because Hamlet is actually in love with Ophelia. He says this is the very ecstasy of love. Polonius then asks, what, have you given him any hard words of late? In other words, have you said something to him that would make him upset? And Ophelia seems to have to remind him that actually it was Polonius who told her not to have any contact with him, hard words or, or, or soft words. She says, no, my good Lord, but as you did command, I did repel his letters. I sent him back, return to sender, address unknown, and denied his access to me. He can't even talk to me anymore. You told me that, and I did it. Polonius, once again, jumping to conclusion, says, that hath made him mad. So Polonius goes from one false conclusion that all that Hamlet wants to do is have sex with Ophelia and then dump her to another wrong conclusion that the way he's acting, this madness, is solely because he's in love with Ophelia. Now, part of it may be, definitely, and we'll get to that in a second, 
but it certainly isn't the whole story. <clears throat> Polonius then tells her to come with him to go and report this news to the king, and thus ends Act 2, Scene 1. Now, let's take a second to look at this from Hamlet's point of view. We already know what emotional trauma he has endured from the general situation of his father's death and his mother's quick remarrying. We already know Hamlet's emotional trauma has been increased by having the ghost of his father tell him he was murdered and crying out to be revenged. But now, on top of all this, his girlfriend, the love of his life, Ophelia, the woman he is crazy about, Am, suddenly and without warning cuts off all communication with him. Any one of these things would be enough to challenge a person's sanity, but all of them together? We know Hamlet told Horatio in the last scene that he would put an antic disposition on, that he would pretend to be mad out of his mind. But he seems to be going through enough turmoil to actually be mad. I tend to see Hamlet as a method actor of sorts, and this is the character Hamlet in the play, as a method actor of sorts. He is going to act as if he is mad, and he is going to use all these emotional traumas that he's been suffering in order to give a good performance. He's going to use it. As the famous actor Donald Sutherland is reputed to have once said, the secret to acting is to tell the truth. And once you can fake that, you've got it made. I also tend to think, excuse me. <clears throat> I also tend to think that at some points in the play, the line gets very thin between Hamlet's performance of being mad and the real thing. So when Hamlet has the interaction described by Ophelia, it is left to us to decide how much is acting and how much is not, and what's causing it and what isn't. We know Hamlet refused to divulge the ghost's message to even his dear friend Horatio. Is Ophelia, whom he obviously loves, the sole person with whom he could and would share this? Is Ophelia the shoulder he could lean on to help him bear this horrible news? And is that avenue foreclosed by Ophelia for abruptly cutting off all contact with him? Now, must Hamlet go it alone? And finally, is this what Hamlet is conveying to Ophelia in their encounter in which he speaks no words? The line of the day. You may have noticed I have not mentioned the line for the day. That is because there really is no line famous enough in this scene to merit memorization. Instead, I want to take this chance to review the lines we have already learned from each of the five scenes of Act 1. Act 1, Scene 1. What do you say if it is cold out? Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart. Act 1, Scene 2. What does Hamlet say to show he is different than his uncle Claudius? A little more than kin and less than kind. Act 1, Scene 3. What does Polonius tell Laertes about being true to yourself? This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. Act 1, Scene 4. What do you say if things in government are corrupt? There's something rotten in the state of Denmark. And Act 1, Scene 5. What do you say if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe everything that you believe? There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Iambic pentameter. If you look at each of these lines, you will see that they each have 10 syllables. This is the 
Iambic pentameter, you may have heard of. Iambic pentameter means there are 10 syllables in each line. It actually means more than just that, but 10 syllables per line is enough for our purposes. Count the syllables in the first line. Tis bitter cold and I am sick at heart. 10 syllables. Count the syllables in the second line. A little more than kin and less than kind. 10 syllables again. This is the manner in which Shakespeare and other playwrights and poets of the time and after and before would write iambic pentameter. And it can be helpful to us in remembering the lines for ourselves. If we forget one of the words, we can remind ourselves it has to fit the 10 syllable pattern. I've used that more times than I could possibly mention. If there were a line in this scene to be memorized, it might be when Polonius says, by indirections, find directions out. Can you guess how many syllables are in that line as well? If you said 10, by indirections, find directions out, you go to the head of the class. I want to mention a little bit about movies made of Hamlet before I close. There have been many films made of Hamlet, and I have not watched them all. Of course, the classic Hamlet production was done by Laurence Olivier in 1948, which won not only the Oscar for Best Movie, he was the director, and also the best uh, the Oscar for Best Actor, Olivier won the, the Oscar as well for his performance, as well as the movie winning the Oscar. In 1990, I believe it was, Franco Zeffirelli directed his version of Hamlet starring Mel Gibson. Although Mel Gibson certainly put a lot of action into the role, many agree the movie could have been subtitled Lethal Shakespeare. <laughs> Six years later, in 1996, Kenneth Branagh produced his version of Hamlet. Although the first half is a bit tedious and slow, this is all just my point of view, by the way, the second half is absolute magic. And casting Billy Crystal as one of the comic relief gravediggers was genius. And he gives a performance that is fantastic and funny. He makes Shakespeare funny. Billy Crystal makes Shakespeare funny. But if you want to watch what I consider the best version of Hamlet that I've ever seen, all you have to do is Google Hamlet and Richard Burton. What will come up is the 1964 Broadway production of Hamlet, which to the good fortune of us all was filmed for limited release in theater. So it is a film from one camera back in the audience of the stage performance. I think it zooms in a few times, but it's not a regular movie. It is definitely a film of the Broadway play, and it is great. Richard Burton was born to play the part of Hamlet. And as good as Richard Burton is, it is Hume Cronin who steals the show as Polonius. He actually gets ovations at the ends of his scenes. Hume Cronin, he's so, he's so good. He makes that character of Polonius and his buffoonery, in spite of the fact he thinks he's so wise, come to life. And you can watch it anytime you want on Google for free, on YouTube for free. Well, that's about all for tonight. Remember, please hit like, please hit subscribe. Please leave a comment below as to your thoughts and ideas. And if you would be so kind as to donate to this program, please go to brushupyourshakespeare.org, click the donate button. There are different amounts that you can click to make monthly donations, recurring donations from $5 on up, whatever you can afford. 
your contribution will keep Brush Up Your Shakespeare coming to you on a weekly basis. So thank you so much for joining me in this show. I look forward to seeing you next week for Act 2, Scene 2 of Hamlet. Until then, we will continue together to brush up our Shakespeare.